Here we are. Yeah, Roger Connors, the screen queer. What's up? Oh, hello, director, award-winning director. My goodness, to be in your presence. (laughs) Well, Well, you know, you were already in my presence with, you know, the last film. But um, so what's going on? Hey, man, uh, you know, just making it work through Corona times, looking for hobbies, starting a podcast. How about you? Yeah, the same, the same. Yeah, we're starting this podcast and um, we appreciate you tuning in to this little episode. This is just going to be a little, little mini episode uh, just so you get to know us and, and you know, hopefully you'll uh, want to continue to hear us talk about horror films. So welcome to the introductory episode of The Dark Night of the Podcast, which kind of a play on one of my favorite little obscure um, made-for-TV movies, if anybody can figure that out, right? You know what I'm talking about, Roger? Did you get Did you get it from the title? Honestly, I did not pick up on that. Oh, well, Steve, you're fired. I need a new co-host. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair, Steve. No, um, no so yeah, so welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm Troy Escamella. Um, I will be one of your hosts along with Roger. I am a indie filmmaker. I've made three films so far. Party Night, Mrs. Claus, and the upcoming Teacher Shortage, which is where I met Roger and got to work with his brilliant ass. So, yes. Teacher Shortage, which is now finally, in the midst of corona times, finally starting to receive some love and attention from film festivals and so forth and so on. And that's great. That's a great place to be because I didn't know I didn't know what to expect over these last few months, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely been a uh, really bad time to try to release a film. You know, all the festivals and stuff have been canceled, postponed. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 starting to get out there. So, just I mean, it's so uncertain times. So we'll just kind of have to see what happens. So, anyways, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Roger. Okay, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, my uh, well, my nickname has been the Scream Queer since I was twenty-one. So, uh, obviously, I've been uh, pulling the whole gay card (laughs) for a while in the indie film scene. Um, I've been doing this since I was 19. Um, I've been acting in independent cinema uh, uh, since, yeah, since then. And it's been a wild and crazy ride. Mm. And since I started, I've gone on to appear in an array of titles you may or may not have seen, uh, including movies like Elementary and Education and Death. Uh, American Poltergeist, The Curse of Lilith Ratchet, Fighting the Sky. Uh, I mean, uh, you can look up my IMDb. I don't need to go on and on. But then, of course, Teacher Shortage, mm-hmm. that, which was a thrill, which uh, we filmed in Houston. Mm-hmm. A wonderful experience. And I, uh, I can't wait for some of these listeners to finally get their eyes on it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure they've seen some of your work other than that. And that's something to celebrate for sure, mm-hmm. because you are an award-winning director. Mm. And uh, I had a great experience working with you, man. So this is going to be fun. I think this is going to be fun because I had a yeah. great time on that. So I'll have a great time on your podcast or on our podcast. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, we know and we're well aware of there are uh, several other um, gay themed, queer themed podcasts out there that discuss horror and they are wonderful. Um, we we're going to we're we're we're, we're going to. You know, try to live up to them, but kind of do our own thing as well. I I really want to focus on discussing some of the more obscure uh, films that are out there. You know, um, stuff that I grew up loving that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of or aren't familiar with. 
I'm a big 80s slasher fan. I think if you've seen my films, you kind of know that for sure. Uh, But yeah, I want to try to cover some of these films that don't get a lot of love. So hopefully with this podcast, you know, it'll you'll be exposed to some films that maybe you haven't heard of or, you know, haven't seen for a while. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So horror, you know, we are two horror horror fans, right? Great gay horror fans. Yes. And I'm kind of curious what got you into loving horror. I mean, it's funny. I re- I remember the I remember the specific moment in which I formed an obsession for horror. Like I remember the exact film. I remember the exact moment with my grandfather. Uh, and I remember I I remember the moment that I realized how terrifying it was to me. And it was it was like a journey for me. I so I was seven years old. My grandfather, I lived with my grandparents, and uh, my mother and I lived with my grandparents. My mother was ill, so we lived with my grandma and my grandfather, and um, my grandfather had this, like, bin of old VHS movies, and they were, like, you know, they, like, even had a specific scent to them. Like, it was really specific. All of these things still stick out in my head. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, always opening the box, and the first movie on the top of the, the like, the pile was Night of the Living Dead, was George mm-hmm. Romero's Living Dead, which has gone on to influence me for years. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you know, I was sitting, I was six, seven years old, and I was so obsessed with this box. It was the old black and white box that had a few of the zombies just, like, shambling. And it just, like, scared the shit out of me. Even the case did. So finally, at seven, I convinced my grandpa to allow me to watch it with him. And, like, the movie starts off, you know, for a seven-year-old, it starts off scary, but it starts off very much, like, kind of like that B-horror feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it evolves into something more psychological and darker and by the end of the movie you come to that climax and it's terrifying it's Mm -hmm. to me terrifying and so for me at seven i remember it was the moment in which like the final siege was happening the doors are starting to break in and helen's getting pulled up to the door and i i panicked i ran i turned off the the, 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 uh, vhs player and i like started crying and breaking down and my mother was like how would you let him watch his movie and for the next like several years i had like trauma from it like i had to see a psychiatrist i was drawing images of people getting torn apart by zombies and it obviously really stuck with me and uh it's weird because by the time i was like 13 14 that fear i had re-manifested and uh, it had adjusted to being like an obsession and that carried with me through my whole life and so now not only is night living dead my favorite movie because it's mm-hmm. had some, but um horror in general is just a massive aspect of my life that never stopped it never went away mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is a classic. I remember my mother um, t- talking about the first time she saw that movie in the, at, the, at a drive-in theater, and it scared the living crap out of her. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely um, – I mean, there's just something about that film that feels very realistic. I mean yeah, – the way they put it – they filmed yeah. it uh, almost has a um, – it almost at times has like a documentary. Documentary feel. Yeah, especially the end, you know, the end. Absolutely. Ending. And the, the, the whole, I mean, you know, going into this podcast, and obviously we're going to be talking about horror, but we're also, we're two gay, gay filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are living in the middle of a very specific climate right now, you know, and um, uh, that movie addressed a lot of heavy political issues and addressed a lot of topics that no one was really addressing at that time. And I think as filmmakers, that's something to cherish and celebrate. And oh. I you know, I tried to do that with my work, and I know I know we both do. Uh, as you, with your last film, injected some 
themes that uh, relate to you. Mm -hmm. And it's important to look at those movies if we're going to be dissecting films, if we're going to be dissecting horror movies beyond just being horror movies, uh, what goes into them, what makes them tick, and, and what makes these characters operate the way they do. Uh, there's so much more to that. It's so layered. It's so layered, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It definitely yeah. is. I mean, it was a film that was way ahead of its time, for sure. For I, mean, sure. I don't think you can argue that at all. But no, my my experience my my experience with horror is kind of similar. And seeing a, a seeing a film that you know when I was quite young that really impacted me. It was my mom and dad and took me and my brother and I was okay. So it came out in '83. So I was about four or five, and they took me to see Poltergeist. And you know, if you know that movie is rated PG, so I don't you know my parents probably weren't thinking it was going to be as traumatic of an experience as it was but think of a you know a little five-year-old in a dark theater watching poltergeist some of the, some of those images literally were were burned into my mind immediately the clown doll um obviously the the guy the, the short scene with the guy ripping his face off i mean i was traumatized i was traumatized but you know what i left the theater and i you know even a little five-year-old had such a rush of adrenaline i wanted to go see it again and you know, luckily, my parents uh, were two big horror fans themselves, and they didn't really have an issue with, with you know, letting me and my brother watch horror films. You know, and I grew up predominantly in the 80s where video stores were a big thing. You know, and I remember being a kid, you know, and, and when VCRs first came out, so this is going to date me, you guys are going to know how old I am now. When VCRs first came out, they were super expensive. So... What most people did is, and I don't know if you remember this, Roger, now, what most people did is they would go to their little mom and pop video store, their block, and rent a VCR player because they were they were expensive. Yeah. So you would literally go rent one. And I just remember going to the video store, getting the VCR, and then my mom would let me go pick out a movie to watch. Every time I went with her, I got to pick out a movie. And my little ass went straight over to the horror section, and I would stare at all the VHS box art, and that's how I would pick my movie that I wanted to watch um, would be based on the VHS cover arts. And I just remember some of them so vividly, you know, Slaughter High, Bloodstalkers, Motel Hell, these, these you know, Sleepaway Camp, these uh, box arts that, you know, just intrigued me as a kid. So, yeah, and I mean, that's that's kind of how it started with Poltergeist. And then that led to just, you know, me wanting to watch more horror. I watched... Um, I remember watching Children of the Corn and, and crying. My eye, I was so scared at that opening scene where they all the kids kill everybody in the restaurant. I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, have, it's a, yeah, it's terrifying. It's, it's just one of those, I think, horror gives you, you know, just that adrenaline rush that maybe a lot of the other genres don't get. And I understand, you know, there's a lot of people that don't like horror, don't see the value in horror or specific genres of horror um, kind of get shit on sometimes. Um, but... For me, it's a it's a it's a genre that is so ingrained in into who I am and and how I approach things. So I mean, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. it's funny because I think uh, well, first first of all, a few things. First, you mentioned the term adrenaline, and that's a great. I mean, that's just a great word to inject here to kick this off. I think the the reason I came kept coming back to horror as a kid and to this day come back to it is because it when it's done right, mm -hmm. it still can impact me in that way. You know, it can oh. still get this rush and this kind of pulse that 
I can't really relate to any other genre. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, horror just serves a purpose that I don't think any other any other genre of cinema can match. And I almost relate it in some strange way to um, you look at like back in like BC times and like public crucifixions. Mm-hmm. We've always had this weird obsession with death. And this weird, like, our species has this obsession with the unknown and with violence and with gore. We are animals at our core. That mm-hmm. is, but we're, we've evolved beyond certain aspects of that. I don't actually want to see people get hurt. I don't want to see people die. So in my mind, horror serves a purpose of entertaining this morbid curiosity for us that will always kind of be there until we evolve beyond it, if that's possible. But it's always going to be there for now. Um, and it appeases that. In a way that is, I think, um, just evolved with us as a species, you know? That is our answer to these morbid questions and this curiosity that we have. It's horror cinema, and it's a, it's a venting tool in some way. Oh, you know? yeah. so it serves a great purpose, and I think some people shit on it. They think it's stupid. They think it's uneducated. But there, I mean, I've seen some horror movies that have made me think more than any documentary or biopic or any other genre. Oh, Absolutely. And, and let's and let's 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 talk about just for a split second here, you know, about, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, people shit on it. Let's talk about how, uh, you know, underappreciated horror has been in regards to I wouldn't say critical reception, but look at like, and you know, it's not the best gauge of, of a quality of a film. But but they, they, they you know, the, the Academy Awards, for example, you know, they're that's supposed to be the pinnacle of honoring the best of the year. And, you know, look at some of the performances and films that have been ignored by the Academy, you know, in the last couple of years, Lapita Nyong'o and Us, Tony Collette, Hereditary, performances that towered above anything that that was nominated that year. But because it's horror, you know, people are like, oh, no, it's not that we can't we can't, you know, no, not that's not good. But but I I really appreciate what you what you said about that, because, yeah, horror, you know, while it kills a lot of times at the box office it still doesn't kind of get the respect with the, you know, critics and the, the you know, the film. Award. Uh, uh, on. Yeah. yeah. They think that a lot of people think they're above horror. And I think a lot of people don't understand um, just how insightful it is to the times. It's yeah. worth the times. And I, I think people disregard that. So it's unfortunate. And that's the purpose of our podcast to inform them. Yeah. And that horror is pivotal. And you had said one other thing, and I just wanted to go back to this because I think it was a great point that you brought up and just the longevity of horror. Mm -hmm. You were mentioning when you're in this, you know, I I do have that memory of going to blockbusters, of standing in that aisle, looking at these titles and seeing these obscure cases, the, you know, these VHS covers of movies that, you know, released then were independent, low budget, Mm -hmm. obscure titles. And thanks to the fan base, a lot of these movies thrive today. A lot of these, I can still find a lot of these titles just as easily, if not easier, now because of their history and because they're still celebrated than I was, you know, then. And I think one amazing thing about the horror community and, and especially like the independent film community is this fan base that just um, cherishes this material mm-hmm. and, and doesn't let it go. And these movies live on because of the people who do understand horror and do understand independent horror. And, um, and that's a very specific person, a very specific mentality, but the appreciation is there. And, um, 
I appreciate those people. I know you do too. That's the reason we do what we do. We love making these films because we love this genre um, and we love making it for other people who are fans of it, like ourselves. Um, and thankfully, the horror community is a diehard one. Uh, so oh, it is. It is. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. A, it's, a, it's a diehard community for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that's why, you know, I mean, it's that's why you have so many horror theme podcasts because there is the audience out there that is that is you know thirsty to 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 hear all things horror discuss all things horror and yeah so uh, transitioning a little bit um you know we've both mentioned we are gay yep. filmmakers right or gay well you're a filmmaker yeah you you are you, yeah you have your you know and um I don't know how. How do you think? Let me ask. Let's ask. Let me ask you two questions. How do you think it's influenced your work? And then, why do you think, or do you think, gay representation in horror is important? Well, I mean, look, or why do you think it's? You know, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, first off, let me, uh, with with being a, a queer individual within this community. Um, when I, when I started back when I was in my early 20s, I was scared mm-hmm. of it. I was scared of it because I looked at myself as an actor and as somebody who, you know, I wouldn't decide, does it define myself as masculine or feminine? Or I just, I am, I am me. But um, I had a constant fear of, you know, being, you know, if I'm an out gay man, I'm only going to play out gay roles. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even in the last 10 years, how that has evolved is pretty shocking. Uh, because when I started doing this and the first gay roles I was cast in um, were stereotypes. Mm-hmm. They were big, bold, brash, uh, you know, gay men who kind of kind of just filled that slot and had the same kind of traits as the last one and the one before him. And, um, and that was fine and dandy because it was introducing an audience to a kind of character that was still kind of fresh. I mean, we're talking like 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of evolution in the last 10 years. Um, and then there was a lot of evolution in myself because of that, because as I was playing these roles, um, I became less scared of it. And I realized that for me as a, as a gay actor in this community, it was becoming important to me to play authentic queer roles, whether it be a feminine role with actual, you know, backstory to who this character was and wasn't just a stereotype this is just who this person is and why and what their tale is or if it is you know portrayed in a different way giving this character depth and nuance and not just being like a cookie cutter shell of 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 what a queer of a gay is supposed to be so my journey as a gay actor within the horror scene has been honestly a very positive one my goal has been to introduce characters that people that queers can relate to uh several of the titles i've been in have characters I'm very proud of, uh, Chill the Killing Games, which was still one of my earlier movies, but right off the bat, they decided that they wanted the lead character to be bisexual, and they didn't want it to be a story arc. They just wanted that to be who he was. He was a softer, queer man, and that is very much who he is, but it didn't need to be explored. It's just who the character was, and there's like one or two soft lines about it, but it's not like a, a major plot point. They just let him be queer, and for me, at that point, that was huge. And I have several other films that have gone on to play queer, you know, in since then that I think have just been more and more evolutionary. So 
So for me, um, it's been pivotal and up to making Rebirth, my, my first feature film that's uh, premiering this fall. The lead character is gay, and we opted to make him extremely feminine for a reason, because it just made sense. And I, in, in doing so, I didn't want to make him a stereotype. I didn't want to make him um, seem uh, like, a, a, like I said, like a cookie cutter expectation of what a gay man is. Just be, because he's feminine doesn't mean he's a joke. Mm-hmm. Just a femme gay does not mean that he's someone that's there to crack the jokes and be made fun of. He's a human being. He's got a pulse, and he has a reason for being who he is. So, um. <clears throat> Being part of this community has honestly been been evolutionary for me, and it's been welcoming, and it's been warm. And of course, there's always exceptions to that with any community, but severely, for the most part, I've had a great experience. I do know queer filmmakers who have not, though, and that's something I think that needs to be acknowledged. As I do, I have the conversations even recently with queer filmmakers who feel that other queers within the community are very quick to they want it. they want the more titles like this, but then they get it and automatically. Uh, they're quick to slam. Mm-hmm. criticize and um i think that's just a community thing in general which i'm sure we'll delve into as two gay men and we'll talk about all these things eventually because that's one of our focuses but um i do want to see more um open-minded love within our community and within the horror community so that is something i'll always strive for um you had a second question you had thrown out to me and i apologize go ahead and repeat that for me one more time no i just said uh why do you think queer representation in horror is important oh i mean yeah. i mean you've mentioned you've yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think it's one of those things that the only way you're going to, I always say this, and outside of horror, I always say this, the tipping point, the first big step to mainstream inclusion for any minority or group that is being looked at as lesser than or not part of the overall majority um, is, in, is, is an introduction via pop culture. I've always felt this, whether it be mm-hmm through music or through cinema or through art, it's exposure. People need to be exposed to what they don't know. And what better way to expose people than through what they're seeing, what they're listening to, and just making sure that they realize, hey, these characters in these films, these actors playing these characters, I can relate to these stories, even though I'm not gay. Yeah. The human story, this is human. And I can I can relate to something that's pivotal. And if you look at shows like Pose right now that uh, on, on FX that deals with a a cast of trans, uh, real trans actresses who are phenomenal. And, yeah. it's, and it's, I, I talk to more heterosexual people about that show and how much it's moved them and affected them. And if it wasn't for a show like this, I don't even think they would know this was going on. You know, so these things, these things are important. And in just introducing the mainstream to people that are not like them, that is a huge, huge step in that direction. Yeah, oh, I absolutely agree. One thing that I guess I never knew uh, until I got on social media and, and really started, you know, ex- exploring social media and, 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 you know, putting myself out there and, and, you know, my work out there is I did not realize that there was such a huge queer horror following. Mm-hmm. That really, really surprised me how many queer horror fans are out there. It's just very intriguing. I mean, I don't. I'm not a psychologist or anything. I, I'm not going to go into maybe why that is. I've I've I've, I've read maybe why it is, or I've, I have opinions about maybe why it is. You know, but it's just it's really interesting to see that a lot of there's a lot of queer horror fans out there. Yeah. yeah. And you know, um, it, it's so I feel like you know you have this you have this audience of of queer horror fans that are probably wanting to see 
some representation in, in, in films. And, you know, we've, we've done, there, there are a handful, there are a handful of, of, you know, queer themed horror films out there. Not a lot, but there are, um, there's a couple out there right now that are, that are kind of making the festival runs. Death Drop Gorgeous is one of them that I had the pleasure of seeing. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Killer Unicorn is another one that, you know, came out. Um, so the people are out there making them and I feel like the, the audience is there. You have you have this niche audience. And but 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 moreover, what you said as well is seeing, you know, people seeing gay characters in films obviously are going to make them more accepting, more comfortable with with that whole thing. If they're uh, if they're not really familiar with with gay people or don't have you know that exposure, and that's kind of like with with teacher shortage, kind of what I what I tried to do was create characters you know they're you know the teacher show i'm not gonna i don't want to spoil it but you know teacher shortage has some some queer characters and i did not want to make them stereotypes i did not want to make that like a whole focus of of the film or or who they are they just are and i hope that people would be able to relate to them um even though it becomes you know a pretty important plot point in the film i don't think it's like um you know, exploitative or like anything like that. It's just very what it is. Right. I agree on that. And I, I do have to say, you know, I, I didn't even know if we were going to touch on that. So I didn't, you know, mention the title earlier when I was kind of rattling a few off. But mm-hmm. I, when I, when I describe teacher shortage to people um, in interviews and so forth, I describe it as a mainstream horror film mm-hmm. or storyline, a mainstream film with queer elements i don't say it's not queer film no it's it's just a film that happens to have some queer characters who happen to be going on life journeys and and to me i mean that's where things should be across the board with everybody of different colors of different preferences you know transgender individuals however you identify i don't care i shouldn't worry about uh, uh the idea of contemplating casting a trans person in a cis role if that trans person brings something to that character that is a human element i want to see them in that role and i like seeing that a film like teacher shortage and again yeah we won't go in depth about what happens but there's a, a storyline there that's just very human mm-hmm. something that could happen to anybody and it's something that uh, uh, people will relate to regardless of preference or otherwise you know so uh and i think you were very successful in interpreting that uh, elegantly into the story and having it be a pivotal point without having it smother the rest of the storyline. Yeah. Or, you know, um, and you mentioned two titles earlier, and I have to say both fantastic titles, and um, it's really inspiring to see other queer filmmakers get ballsy. Oh, yeah. Represent some characters that do not get a lot of attention. Um, the, the Death Trap Gorgeous Boys, I, I've become friends with them over social media. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. yeah. They go out of their way to uh, portray characters that I don't think are going to get portrayed that often. So oh. who them? Yeah, Those. absolutely. No, yeah, that yeah, they they are they're great. They're passionate, yes. um, and it, it really shows with their film. And it, it took you know it, it took a lot of, of passion, obviously, to make that film. I mean, they did it over I think a course of a couple years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love seeing their their passion on on social media. I'm really excited for what they do uh, or what they do next. I know they they posted, they've hinted that they have other things in the works. So I'm really interested. I'm really excited to see what they do because yeah, that's a that's a ballsy film. It's a very ballsy film, and it but it works. It's it's a blast. 
But yeah. hey, we're giving them some free promo, guys. So hey, hopefully you share this <laughs> share this episode. Yeah, no, but um, but I mean, yeah. So yeah, I mean, any and that kind of can transition into um, maybe what we're gonna cover on our very first official episode. Because this is, you know, this is just kind of hopefully to get to know us and hopefully you guys will want to tune in after hearing, you know, us chat for the last half hour. Mm -hmm. Okay, so our first episode, which uh, we will be recording soon, will be the 2004 slasher film Hellbent. Hellbent. Directed by Paul Etheridge, which is a very queer slasher film very queer and however well not however it's probably still remains i think it's one of the first that i can think of um i'm sure there may be other ones but i feel like it's st- and we'll, i'm not going to get into this this is what the first episode is all i'm going to say so you can get an idea of, of my opinion of the film is i still think it is one of the best queer slasher films out there for for a few reasons um, it's, well it's aged better than i would have expected yeah i know we both i know we both watched it recently to prepare for the episode um but i don't want to spoil any of my opinions on it. i'm just going to say I, I think it still remains one of the the best uh gay themed slasher films out there um and i'm really excited to talk about my opinions on it and why i think that way and you can agree or disagree but i mean i really do think that it's uh should be you know require viewing for for everybody that's a slasher fan, because it, 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 you know, has so many wonderful elements to it. And what they did on such a low budget is pretty impressive. It's yeah. inspiring. And it's why we do this, too, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to say, I think it's one of those titles that uh, on these on, on this genre of podcasts, you know, queer horror, uh, you, you're going to see it covered pretty regularly just for the reasons you're stating. But I think it's one of those movies that still gets overlooked by this kind of younger generation uh, just because it came out a little bit before like the big gay wave. Hit, yeah. You know? Well, and uh, I, honestly, I, I picked it for the first episode because I hadn't really seen another podcast cover it. But then I told you right after I messaged you and I said, Hey Roger, our first episode, we're going to do hell bent. Like a day later, I'm like, crap, the horror, uh, queer, po- horror queer podcast just released an episode <laughs> on but, you know, I think I have I, I haven't listened. I love the Horror Career podcast. It's Trace yeah. and Joe. I love that podcast to death. I have not listened to that episode on purpose because I don't want it to influence what we talk about with the film. Right. So right. Um, I it know just, they, cov- they, they covered it with Killer Unicorn. So that'll be yeah. kind of interesting to listen to. It makes sense to me why it would be for a podcast of this genre. It It is the right introduction to the kind of cinema that I think I would be wanting to explore and mm-hmm. branch out there. But it really is. It is a it is a formative title for what we're looking into. It, it really does deserve the kudos of no matter what your opinion is of it, the fact it kicked the door open. It kicked the door open for allowing gay characters to have stories in the genre, at least as a as a as a mainstream storyline as a as a as the focal storyline of the film it did some things that that was just pretty groundbreaking so it should be acknowledged and i'm happy we're covering it and i'm excited to discuss it with you um because i think i think we're going to see pretty eye to eye and i I think there's some aspects in this film that uh, are just for the better or worse are just so fucking entertaining um i i I can't wait to talk about it. it's gonna be fun this whole thing's gonna be fun 
Yeah, yes. No, it is. So we, we hope that you will continue tuning in. And yeah. we, like I said, my goal or our goal is to pick some titles that don't get covered a lot, I think. And I can guarantee you, I mean, I've looked and maybe I'm wrong, but the title, the, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Roger, you know what it is. I think I've told you. The, 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 the film I want to do for our second episode, you remember? You remember what it is, right? I told you. Uh, I'm going to act like I do, but I'm just okay. like, God damn it. Go oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm flustered. <laughs> I know, but I, I know that one has never been, co- I have not seen it covered and it has a gay, it has the gay character in it and, and it's never been covered. So I'm excited to cover that one. I'll give you a hint. Margot Kidder. Oh, <laughs> on it. Perfect. No, yeah. yeah, no, I remember. Listen, I've been so focused on Hellbent. That I just, I'm not even on, listen, listen I'm, we're not even at episode technically one yet. We're I know. Still, but it's, like, I remember you saying it. I'm sorry. I'm excited. I, I'm just excited to get started. I do. It's, I get why you're excited. It's a great, okay. great title. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, Hellbent, the help, that'll be our first episode. We will be recording it soon yes. after Roger gets back from his little vacay. Yeah, I'm going to San Francisco. What better time to go to San Francisco? Oh, I was going to say, why the hell are you going to San Francisco when they just closed the state down? Yeah, whatever. Know, hey, there you go. Might as well go when I can uh, explore on my like lonesome and take in the city without having to actually interact with people. That's true. That's Social true. person. That's a lie. No, I don't know. It just that's how the stars aligned, and I'm going to roll with it because I've never been to San Francisco. But um, I haven't either. Fine, man. Yeah. Yeah, this so. is be fun. I can't wait to do this with you. This is going to be great. I like chatting with you about this stuff, and I'm sure mm-hmm. people are going to want to listen to our big gay asses talking about horror movies. So, uh, okay. yeah, this is fun. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll we'll let you go because we've been rambling now for 34 minutes. Oh so God. hopefully, yeah. But hopefully, you've enjoyed our, our you know our perspective, and we really want you to tune in and check out our first episode, which will drop as soon as Roger gets his gay ass back from San Francisco. I stay there for some reason because it's so gay. <laughs> okay. Well, right. Roger, you have, you know, a wonderful rest of your day. You too. And you uh, get ready to talk about Hellbent when I return. I will. I may have, I may even have to watch it again. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that's fair. Maybe I'll watch it when I'm, uh, when I'm in San, San Francisco because I have nothing else to do. So I'll just give it another visit. There you go. There but yeah, guys, thank you so much for tuning in on this first episode. We really were considering it to be... Uh, like a little banter session and now we've been talking for 35 minutes so uh but it was worth it this was fun so i uh we will catch you guys here in another week or so yep all righty see y'all later bye